The Crypto Corner with your host, Crypto Kid. It is a huge deal. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. What's up, everybody? Crypto Kid here. And joining me for today's episode is a man that I've come to respect very deeply. He's a fellow Freedom of Information activist, entrepreneur, and you likely know him as the CEO and co-founder of Minds. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Bill Ottman. Hey, Bill, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for coming on, man. It's good to have you. First question, what was your guys' deciding factor to base the Minds token on, on ERC-20 instead of something like TRC-20 or like its own blockchain? What was, was there any glaring reason that you went with ERC-20 or the usability and it's... Yeah, absolutely. Go with? I mean, we did look at many different options. And ultimately, the Ethereum developer tools were just more advanced than anywhere else. I think that we're definitely always open to exploring other blockchains like for different purposes. But it's been successful. I mean, we have an on-chain, off-chain sort of hybrid. Like all of our rewards that we put out every day to users for their contributions are actually sent off-chain. And then people have the option to pull their tokens on chain anytime they want. They can boost their posts on chain or off chain. They can send tokens peer to peer on chain or off chain. And, you know, for obvious reasons, that's important. Very much so. I agree. I think that was something that stood out to me, honestly. Like, um, I, I agree with the choice uh, with going with something like ERC-20 because like you said, the compatibility, the usability, um, it's it's great. It's great for building. You have, Like I said, you have other things like TRC-20 and Waves and all that stuff. And I feel like those are still somewhat nascent, whereas ERC-20 has kind of proven itself. A lot of great dApps have been built and there's a lot of interoperability with, with ERC-20 across the board. Exactly. I mean, we just brought in uh, full ETH support into our wallet as well so users can send regular ETH. I saw that. I saw that. Now, is you guys also have plans for, or if if it's not already, if I didn't read properly, you guys are going to be enabling Bitcoin too, right? We do. We, we already did. I thought so. So speaking of speaking of users and the platform itself, so everybody knows it's it's becoming a hotspot for people that want to participate in the value that they create. And it's a hotspot for people that don't want to worry about being spied on or the accounts and people that they follow get banned. Like they don't have to worry about that. So building on those qualities, what do you think, what, I guess, what are some of your main goals for minds in 2020 and beyond? And do you guys have any thoughts of, of like putting out a roadmap or anything to that effect? We actually have a roadmap. Um, if you go to gitlab.com slash groups slash minds slash dash slash roadmap, it's a little bit complicated. But if you just go to gitlab.com slash minds, we have a public. All of the project management and dev work we do is fully out in the open all the time. Uh, if you go to the activity feed on our GitLab, you can just see developers working you know, all day, every day. And we were really excited to be able, like back in the day, we used to use Asana for project management, which is a proprietary tool. It's pretty sleek, but, you know, we have a mission to ditch 
all proprietary tools, even from an ops point of view. So GitLab is like the open source alternative to GitHub. And um, we love it. It's, you know, changed the game in terms of our DevOps and our project management, our road mapping. And in 2020, I mean, you, you can, I'll just sort of read off a bunch of things, but you know, we're revamping the whole, the whole map, the whole app um, in terms of design. We hired a fully full-time UX guy like a year ago. And some of that is starting to come to fruition over the next few months. The, you know, the wallet is being completely revamped the, the whole, everything, the, the newsfeed channels, the peer-to-peer uh, -peer payment tools, groups, search, everything. And we're also going to be focusing on more decentralization tools. Um, we're looking at activity pub, which is what Mastodon uses for federation. We're, uh, looking at our weave. Are you familiar with them? Um, no, no. Uh, I definitely recommend checking them out. Uh, they're sort of a blockchain. They call themselves a block weave, but you go, you go to our weave, A-R-W-E-A-V-E.org. And they're basically building something that they call the permaweb. And it's pretty much like a scalable distributed file storage system that is intended to compete with like Amazon for file storage. And, um, you know, when you publish to it, it can never be deleted. And, you know, that's obviously very compelling. And they, they do have some apps in production already. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm talking with them. We're, you know, looking to put out a prototype there and yeah, I mean, we've, we've put, we're, we're working on more video features, better recommendations without surveillance. Um, you know, there's just a million things like uh, localization. I mean, we're not even translated on web. We're not translated into every language in the world. Like, and that's because Angular has sort of been slow in terms of getting runtime translations. You know, traditionally you've had to do a completely separate build of, of the whole app for every language, which is just, but takes a ton of time every time you want to do an update. So, you know, something like that is, you know, from a user adoption perspective, just unparalleled. I mean, if, if, would you ever use an app that was only in Chinese? Exactly. I think, I think having a wide variety of languages available, I personally wouldn't use, use it. You know what I mean? I think, um, I think, having multiple languages available um, gives even people that ha like have a second language or third language, it gives them a, an alternative way to, to access the app and get into the app. Oh yeah. No, it's just a basic thing. I mean, you would, you would never, I mean, from the start, you would hope that an app, like I would, I wanted to be translated into every language from, you know, years ago. Uh, we're also going to be redoing our messenger and bringing in end-to-end -end encryption. Um, we're playing with the matrix protocol. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I haven't heard of them. It's a great open source framework. 
And our, our current messenger is encrypted, but it's, you know, just very limited in its functionality. And, you know, we haven't put enough emphasis on it. And so we're just going to be building on top of a, a project that is established and, and can scale. So that's exciting. And I mean, honestly, by the end of the year, it's, you know, we, we need to get competitive with the top social apps in the world. Although, you know, we're lucky enough to have some resources and an and amazing dev team that I think can get us there. And we're also bringing in things like stories, which is, you know, for me is really important because it encourages authentic short form video content. And it's just a great way to, to share information. Like right now, a lot of the content that's getting shared based because of our composer is, is, you know, outside links to articles and, you know, a lot of memes and images and uh, blogs and, and stuff like that, which is all great. But I think the future is really with original video content. That's, that's obviously what is exploding on the web. That's what people want. That's what I personally want to watch. I'm, I'm, I'm most interested in, in video content. Um, and we're also revamping our blog framework. So it's just like everything is, is changing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's, that's awesome because not only do you guys have that in the, in the works and such, but with it being open, open source and you can see everything that's planned and everything that's been done on your guys' GitLabs, that's like, that creates a whole le- a whole new level of transparency in social media that that doesn't exist, and it, and it, I believe it should it should be the standard. Honestly, like there should be no proprietary closed source algorithms controlling like the way that these social media platforms operate. That's just not right. Um, so I think I think that it's great the way you guys are are approaching it. I think that's the right way to do it. I think that's the future proof way to do it. And I think in the next five years, it's not going to be, oh, are you on Facebook or Twitter? I think there's going to be uh, a, a different conversation. And, I, and I, I'm almost positive minds will be in that conversation. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I agree with you. I think that it's a, it's a paradigm shift. And it's pretty interesting if you look at like Twitter, for instance, they started this project called the Blue Sky Project. And Dorsey is clearly very interested in Bitcoin and crypto. And- yeah, exactly. Hence, yeah, I think th- I, I read something about they just added the Bitcoin emoji to Twitter. So yeah, they're doing that. And like they started this whole division focused, like apparently an open source division looking at looking at decentralized social. But if you read deeply into how he's communicating, he's not saying that Twitter is going to be open source. He's saying that you know, they may be able to integrate some sort of open source decentralized protocol that Twitter sits on top of. He's not, you know, and to be honest, I'm not, I think that Dorsey probably knows the truth of where things are going. And, you know, he's not necessarily in a decision-making position to just open source all of Twitter's code. Because, I mean, first of all, if they did that, it would be very clear the bias that exists. So, and, you know, not to mention that they probably have 
100 people telling them that they can't do that for all sorts of IP reasons. So uh, that's what is exciting about the position that we're in. And, you know, many of the other open source social projects is, is that, you know, there's a wide opening and that this is this is what the future is going to be. And it's not just going to be one competitor. It's going to be a number of us that, that rise up. That's important. I think it's very important because I think I think you'll you'll understand this. You can't have freedom of information if there's algorithms controlling what you see. There's no proper way to distribute that information properly to the masses in a way where everybody has an equal opportunity to view it and take it for its face value without a bunch of skewed bias, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that it's it's really crazy that things have gotten to the point that they're at whether it's Google or Twitter or Facebook or, you know, anyone. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves as humanity where we want our data to live and who we want to be controlling that data. And, you know, it's, it's not, you know, we don't want anyone controlling the data. We want an open protocol controlling the data. You know, the, the tough thing is that, the future is is likely immutable and permanent in terms of data. Um, you know that's how blockchains are. You can't de- you can't delete from a blockchain. Now, arguably, there are privacy problems with that. So, you know that's just something that we're going to have to figure out how to deal with. I think that I would personally rather live in a world where you know, there is that permanence and reliability and, you know, known access to information as opposed to a world where stuff can just get memory hold. Exactly. That's, and that kind of ties into one of my other questions too, which is how do you think like blockchain technology, distributed ledger technology, how do you think that could be used for the purposes of like recording and preserving human history on a wider scale so that the generations that come after us don't have to learn history from like biased and skewed accounts of historians. Instead, they can learn it from something immutable like a blockchain. How do we make that shift? Yeah. I mean, I, this is why I'm, I'm excited about our week. Uh, it, and it, it's pretty new, but I'm, it's just very impressive what they've achieved so far. And, they already have, I think, like all of Wikipedia and, you know, maybe even the Internet Archive on it. And it's, it's, it's problematic at the same time. I mean, all sorts of really crazy, uh, probably illegal stuff is going to get published there. And I don't, you know, how, how we're going to handle that is, is to be determined. But the problem is that if you give people the ability to delete it, then it's it's going to get deleted. But I think there's different con- consensus mechanisms that can be brought in, which can apply some sort of democratic element to it with the miners where they can sort of vote on whether or not they're going to post that content and you know it's it's 
above my pay grade, to be honest, how exactly all the mechanics of it, of it work, but whether it's IPFS or, you know, Filecoin, there, there's all these interesting projects that are working on their storage. There's all these interesting projects that are working on distributed file storage. And that's just a huge and important area. I mean, we currently use AWS and, you know, I'm not really happy about it, but it's just sort of necessary for the moment. And, you know, we're not naive to think that we can just run servers in our basement and provide an experience to people that is competitive. So, but over time, you know, we definitely want to get off there. And I think that there are going to be solutions that come up. There's, there's every incentive for a more open, secure, ethical cloud services company to, to get really huge. That's, that's going to happen. I mean, if we ever got big enough, I would, I would love to work on that, but you know, we're all, we're already spread pretty thin. Oh yeah. I feel that. I totally understand, man. What I was also thinking about, like I've, I've heard of this service it's called unstoppable domains. And I feel like pairing that with, with our weave, I feel like you could have a website that would quite literally be unstoppable. Like you could not censor that website in any shape or form. For sure. I think that we're pretty much, you know, there are, there are people who have already achieved that. Um, I saw another decentralized DNS uh, solution a couple days ago, but yeah, I mean, there's so many smart people working on this in every, uh, you know, different area of the web in every different layer of the stack. So I mean, we're in the midst of it. It's happening. Yeah. So in your opinion, there's so many different areas of commerce, like food traceability, powering supply chains, uh, making cross-border transactions easier and faster, all of the above pretty much. But what what is, in your opinion, an area of the everyday lives of, of common people where blockchain technology hasn't been deployed that would have a positive impact on humanity, like on a big scale. Do you, does anything come to mind? Um, I mean, it hasn't really pervaded finance like enough yet. I mean, you know, just in your, in your daily transactions, you know, going to the grocery store and whatnot. I think that, you know, there are, and it, I've seen like certain debit cards and whatnot that are sort of tied to your Bitcoin that you can, that, that are supported by, by certain stores. Overstock, you know, accepts Bitcoin, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, that's the big thing, just. So fi- you still think finance needs to get cracked before we move on to bigger and better things as far as deploying blockchain? I mean, you know, that's the biggest thing. That, that's what it's that's what its original intention was, peer-to-peer electronic cash. Exactly. And so we, you know, we want to see that work. But in terms of the value of, you know, this distributed ledger, wherever we're dealing with data, I think that there there are benefits of it. And yeah, I just would like, even personally would like to figure out 
ways to be able to use it just when I'm going to different stores. And, you know, no one has gone viral in the sense of, you know, now every time you walk into a store, you know, they all have like the square readers. And that's, that was really interesting because, you know, it used to be you swiped from these sort of archaic little credit card processing machines. And, you know, you still see those in certain places, but Square has really gained traction. Yeah. And see, I, I err on the side of like contactless. Uh-huh. Oh, you mean in, t- in terms of an application of blockchain? Well, no, I think in terms of like the easy, making every like day-to-day payments easy. Cause I mean, how they, like from what I gather, how they do it in China is you don't even, you don't interact with a checker. You don't interact with a terminal, like a self-checkout. You just load your groceries into your cart. They have um, RFID chips inside of them that are correspondent to the scanner as you walk out of the door mm-hmm. and everything is contactless. Your, your, whatever phone you have, your, your WeChat or whatever sync to it. And as you walk out the door, the, the framing, it's just like a pretty much a theft prevention sensor. And it just scans everything in your cart, charges your phone contactless and, and you're done. I feel like that's the future in terms of like right. uh, retail payments. I, and it hasn't, it hasn't really bubbled up or really been adopted, but I feel like Square is one of those starting points where, where the U.S. is starting to lean towards a, mo- a more mobile payment environment, I guess it seems. And I feel like once that really takes off, you'll start seeing more things like uh, contactless debit cards. Like I have a debit card that I don't even have to pop, pop in the machine. I just touch it to the terminal and it does its thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in China, it's obviously a, a totally centralized sort of control grid with social credit scores and, you know, but the convenience of it is absolutely on the right track. And so, you know, the, the key is just doing that in a way that allows people to maintain their self-sovereignty and, and digital rights. And it's going to take, it's, it's going to take a, a long time because and it's, it, it's also not necessary for everything to be a hundred percent decentralized. Um, just because that's not really how the universe works. I mean, I think that you want a really tight balance and you want to make sure that the most important things that need to be decentralized are decentralized so that, you know, a couple of corporations aren't, aren't controlling information or, or commerce or whatnot, but, you know, central servers are not inherently negative. I mean, if you could have your own server running at your house and theoretically that would be like a central server. So it's not black or white in that sense. And, um, you know, web two has been a really important step in our technological evolution and web three, I think it is combining both. And, you know, there's so many projects that sort of try to claim that they're fully decentralized, but they're just not. Yeah, man, I actually have to, I have to hop in like two minutes. Yeah, totally, man. I was going to say, let's wrap it up. I was just going to say, if you got um, any anything coming up special, I know you've been doing that stuff with Daryl Davis. That's awesome. I want to commend you on that. That's incredible. I've just been watching from the sidelines and 
and I've just been happy to see your guys' progress and, and what you guys have been doing. And it's, it's awesome. So if you want to take a minute to just let everybody know, um, about any upcoming events you got, you might be speaking at or anything that's happening in your world, man, just take the floor for a minute. Yeah. Daryl is incredible. He joined as an advisor and, you know, he just has the perfect philosophy. You know, he's not trying to shut down what anyone has to say. In fact, he's going straight at the, the problem with an open mind and, you know, befriending KKK members and who, you know, realistically hate him. And then he's becoming friends with them and getting them to leave the KKK. And we, th we think that that is a template for how to solve problems on a, on a much greater scale. And he's already proven it. So, you know, what we're doing is trying to scale his efforts online. And that's why we have a first amendment based policy, but at the same time, you know, we're not just doing it without any kind of a framework. We actually, um, you know, do want to de-radicalize extremists, but at the same time, it's subjective. What, is extreme. So we're not necessarily the arbiters of what is and what is not extreme. But yeah, we do have a, a, an event coming up in June in New York City, which um, we can't, I, I can't announce yet, but just, you know, keep an eye on, on Minds for updates on that. And definitely follow me, minds.com slash Ottman, you know, get the, get the app, uh, be patient with it. You know, it's going to be making quantum leaps this year. And I'd love to hear from anyone who's listening. And I really appreciate you you reaching out and, you know, being clearly on the ball in regards to all of this stuff. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you coming on too, man. It's been a great talk. I've had a great time. Let's do it again. I mean, any anytime. Definitely, man. I appreciate it. I'll let you go and do your thing. You have a great day. Cheers, man. All right. Cheers. All right, everybody, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for stopping by, and I hope you have a great weekend. The Crypto Corner with your host, Crypto Kid. It is a huge deal. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. BTC is currently trading at roughly $10,230. BCH is currently trading at roughly $484. ETH is currently trading at roughly $281. LTC is currently trading at roughly $81. XMR is currently trading at roughly $96. ONT is currently trading at roughly $1.08. XRP is currently trading at roughly $0.33. B-A-T is currently trading at roughly 31 cents. Z-R-X is currently trading at roughly 35 cents. X-L-M is currently trading at roughly 8 cents. Produced on location at Chicken Valve Studio. Studio. Studio.